Greetings, everyone. Welcome to D Green with Amy. I'm Amy. After adopting a whole food plant-based lifestyle, my hubby Rick and I lost over 130 pounds. Now I coach others on their plant-based journey. Just has voice. Let's welcome our guest. John Masingle, RD, is board certified as a diabetes care and education specialist. He owns a private one-on-one nutrition consulting business called John Masingle Nutrition. He is an endurance athlete in his spare time and competes in triathlons and ultra-distance bike races. Please click like to help be green with Amy. Welcome, John Masingle. Greetings. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Welcome, John. I'm glad that you're here. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Yes. Today, John's going to be discussing how, well, he's going to be talking a lot about diabetes and talking about how what you eat can affect whether you get it or not. And also, if you do have it, what you can do about it by maybe looking at changing your diet and other lifestyle pillars that we can talk about too. So, to be able to prevent and manage and even reverse diabetes, John, that's a that's a big promise. <laughs> what do, what do you say? Oh, about that? Huh? yeah, I'm I'm up for the challenge, though. I'm up for the challenge, so we'll okay. see we'll see what happens. But I'm up for the challenge. All right. Well, I think what we're going to do is we're going to start with a our game of true or false. It's time for True or False on Be Green with Amy Live. Answer true or false to Amy's questions in the comments below, and Amy will ask our guest for the expert answer. Okay. okay. True or false. True or false. So people are going to type in, in the comments, but we're not going to wait for their answers. We'll let you answer it pretty soon after we ask the question. And the first one is true or false, Green Warriors. Type in your answer. Approximately 25% of people with diabetes in the U.S. and nearly 50% of Asian and Hispanic Americans with diabetes are under undiagnosed, I should say, undiagnosed. Hmm. Okay. And guys, you can type in your guess. And John, what do you have to say about that? Okay. So what do you have to say, John? We may have lost him. Can you uh, do you want me go ahead oh, and answer? Yeah, please do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I barely can hear you, but okay. okay. Yeah, so th this one is true. And we've all got someone that uh, responded. Um, but yeah, approximately 25% uh, people with diabetes in the U.S. and nearly 50% of Asian and Hispanic Americans with diabetes uh, are undiagnosed. So uh, it's pretty alarming. Um, but, uh, you know, that is that is a true statement. So. Wow. Well, that's a big deal. And I guess that's one of the reasons why you're here today, because this is something that's affecting a big proportion of the population. And it seems that the numbers are just ticking up as the years go by. I remember my grandma, she had uh, just, she had um, type two diabetes, but they called it adult onset diabetes at the time. And so children didn't didn't even get this type two diabetes as such. So it's very good to uh, talk about that. Let's also talk about this true or false. Besides women who were diagnosed with gestational diabetes, regular testing for all other adults should begin at age 50. 
true or false, Green Warriors? Type in your answer. And then, John, what do you say about that? Good question. So um, this one is actually going to be false. Uh, regular testing uh, for adults should begin at age 45, actually. Um, so and I and that's one thing that comes with nutrition um, is that a lot of times it comes to the things that we can do to um, reverse um, or manage diabetes has to do with timing. Uh, so starting at age 45, it's a really good idea when you're visiting your primary care physician uh, to have your A1C check um, just to see um, if you're in either that, pri uh, that pre-diabetic um, or diabetic range. That way, the sooner that we can identify that, the sooner that we can act. And, and hopefully that the primary care physician um, has uh, some good knowledge, but also potentially uh, can uh, refer to a certified diabetes education specialist like myself. Um, I happen to work and support. Uh, I do work in an outpatient clinic here in Fort Worth, Texas and support uh, approximately 40 different uh, primary care physicians, uh, nurse practitioners. And so they refer the, their patients uh, to myself so we can do uh, that one-on-one -on -one, uh, lifestyle um, disease management. Uh, but the sooner the better, but age 45 is the actual age. Wow. Well, that's a big deal because if, if this is something that we can prevent or, and, and I think that people could be walking around not knowing that they, they have this. And I think that for me, I was headed in that direction. As I said, my grandma had it and then my mother wound up getting it too. Mm -hmm. And I just, I always felt a little shaky between meals, a little weak. And, and, and I just thought that that was normal hunger and, but it wasn't. And I think that as I, if I kept going on the plan that I was on, which was no plan, just the standard American diet, I think I probably would have wound up getting the diabetes as well. And I did notice after adopting a plant-based diet that it definitely did help the way I felt in between meals. So I'm glad that you're talking about that. And then we're going to ask this next question, and then we're going to clarify first what, what this is, because it's about A1C. And maybe before you answer it, you're going to talk to us about what A1C is while people try to answer it. And that is, uh, true or false, periodontal disease is linked to higher A1C. So for those that are not familiar with A1C, maybe you can talk about that first before you answer. Yeah, A1C is basically um, an average of someone's glucose levels over a two to three month period of time. Um, so it really gives a, an, an idea of their average blood sugars over uh, that period of time. Uh, so pre-diabetes, if someone's A1C is between 5.7, is considered 5.7 to 6.4, and then at 6.5, or higher, that's considered actually diabetes. So, uh, but that's usually what's checked uh, when you have a visit um, and it's good to just uh, ask for it um, to make sure that you're getting that checked, uh, especially again at that age 45, or um, if you're overweight or if you have a family history, um, uh, anybody that like you mentioned, you had your grandmother. So if you have any family history um, or if you're considered overweight or obese, 
um, or um, you know, if you feel like you just want to have it checked, that's a good idea to have it checked. Okay, so higher A1C with periodontal disease. Uh, for per that is a true statement. So yeah, your your uh, dental health is an important factor. Uh, so periodontal disease is linked to higher A1C numbers. That is true. That that is just so amazing. So if you don't if you if you don't care about anything else, a lot of people <laughs> do care about their smile, and and that's pretty amazing. That I guess doctors and healthcare professionals can tell a lot when when the doctor you go for a checkup and they tell you to open your mouth and say ah, you know, and and, and there's a reason, right? They're looking for a lot of different things, and that right. may be, that may be one of the things that they're they're looking for. I remember I interviewed Dr. Clapper and he said that that healthcare professionals and doctors, especially, they can look at you and not even ask you any questions and tell a lot about your body and about your health by looking in your eyes and, and your and your mouth and your tongue and, and the state of your gums and, and your gait. And there's just so many telling things about people that they can they can see, which is I thought was just fascinating. And there there you have it. That's one of them. Right. So if somebody did go and get their yep, exactly. A1, yeah, if somebody did go and get their A1C tested and what number are they looking for and what do they have to be concerned with? I'm sorry, I didn't hear the question. Okay. If somebody, you can I don't repeat know the question. Yeah, sure. Is your volume all the way up? I'm not sure if your volume control is up. But if you if somebody did get the A1C tested, what is the doctor looking for and what should they yep. be concerned about? Well, yeah, yeah, going back to the first thing that they if they get an A1C and if it's over uh, 5.7, then they're considered pre-diabetic. Um, and so uh, a second thing that they, they could look at uh, potentially is their um, lipids. Uh, which are their cholesterol numbers, uh, things like total cholesterol, and then uh, low-density lipoprotein. Um, also, the liver enzymes to see if they potentially have fatty liver disease. Um, and so from there, the, the doctor can uh, start to prescribe uh, lifestyle mod modification. Um, and sometimes they'll, if, the, if it's over, if they're considered pre-diabetic, they potentially can prescribe a medication. Uh, usually the first line medication is metformin, uh, which metformin uh, is a medication that can basically help slow down the release of glucose from the liver because the liver is a storage organ for sugar. And then second, uh, metformin can help reduce insulin resistance, uh, which insulin resistance is one of the things that causes high blood sugar levels. Um, and so, and then from there, hopefully they'll, they'll talk about lifestyle modification. Uh, if the person's, um, overweight, um, or more sedentary, hopefully they'll, um, uh, do a referral to myself, like a dietitian, a certified diabetes educator. Um, and then from there, you know, we work uh, closely with patients. We meet patients where they are. Um, and help understand what their goals are and their concerns about their health and help make lifestyle adjustments from there. But also just really trying to provide um, 
practical solutions for people that they can sustain over the long term. Uh, and so it's not really there's no one size fits all solution. Um, but the research shows that uh, following an, a, like a plant based diet um, or a less refined uh, sugar type of diet um, can really help with uh, weight loss um, and then also incorporating exercise and exercise routine. So usually we'll establish things like smart goals, which are small achievable, goal, achievable goals that are specific for that patient. Uh, and then do follow-ups from there. So that's usually the 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 uh, the course of action. You know, if you're you know visiting your PCP, um, and hopefully either if that's happening to you, um, you know, you can reach out to myself, or if you have someone in your area that you'd like to work with, like a registered dietitian uh, and a certified diabetes educator, you can take those steps from there. Yeah, it's nice when the the healthcare professionals are familiar with the research and the science, but some of them seem, seems that they're not. And I have talked to people mm. who have been diagnosed with diabetes or pre-diabetes, and they've had nutrition recommendations from their healthcare professionals, like don't eat fruit, you know, or mm. go on a keto diet <laughs> and, and things like that. Mm. So can you can you talk about those different foods and why they may or may not be a good idea to, to avoid or incorporate? Yeah, good, good question. So um, again, it really, when you look at the research um, starting with the American Diabetes Association, um, they don't, they recommend uh, certain things. Um, number one is that they do not recommend that there's a specific macronutrient distribution, meaning that there's no one size fits all solution. Uh, so there's no recommended, you should eat so much protein, so much carbohydrates, um, and so much fat. Um, but some of the things that they do recommend is to follow the uh, normal dietary guidelines. So as an example for saturated fat or for fat in general, uh, the dietary guidelines for Americans do not recommend a specific amount of fat that someone should follow, but they do recommend limiting saturated fat. And so as we know, saturated fat uh, really comes mostly from animal products. Uh, so the recommendation from the uh, dietary guidelines for Americans, which is really science-based, it's evidence-based, um, the recommendation is not to exceed more than 10% of total calories from saturated fat. Uh, so there's a second type of fat uh, that's called unsaturated fat. Um, and unsaturated fat comes from more plant sources like avocados, nuts, and seeds. Um, unsaturated fat is considered more heart healthy um, because it's protective for the health and will help reduce things like high cholesterol and also low density lipoproteins. Um, so um, as an example, if someone is eating a predominantly uh, uh, animal-based diet, um, and if you look at the Dietary Guidelines for Americans recommendation, uh, let's say as an example that they're following a 2,000 calorie diet, that means that their saturated fat, the recommendation is to limit it to no more than 10%, which is 200 calories from saturated fat. Uh, so like as an example, one idea would be to shift some animal fats to plant-based fats. 
An example would be to substitute butter, like a simple swap would be to substitute butter with avocado, which avocado is healthy to fat because it's a unsaturated fat, so it's heart healthy. Um, so that's one thing. Second thing would be to shift from more of animal sources of protein to more plant sources of protein. As an example, uh, switching or substituting things like lentils, uh, like red lentils for meat for spaghetti sauce. Uh, lentils are high in protein and they also have some carbohydrates, but also um, they are, are also um, high in fiber. Um, and so fiber really helps with was increasing gastric or reducing gastric emptying, meaning that you'll stay fuller for a long period of time. And studies show that increasing your fiber intake will help slow down sugar release uh, of the sugars into, in, into your bloodstream. So that's one of the recommendations from the Dietary Guidelines from Americans, which is supported by the American Diabetes Association, is making a shift from, again, saturated fat, which is more animal-based, to plant fats. Uh, again, there's a, just a few ideas there. A second idea would be by increasing, uh, reducing refined grains to increasing more whole grains. And the Dietary Guidelines for Americans, again, recommend having at least half of our grains be whole grains. Whole grains are high in fiber and also have been proven to lower cholesterol levels. Uh, so as an example, if you're used to eating white rice, which is a refined grain, just making an easy swap to a whole grain like brown rice uh, for let's say lunch or dinner will help increase your fiber intake, which will help slow down the release of the sugar into the cells and will help with blood sugar control and bring down your A1C numbers. But also uh, unrefined grains like brown rice, old-fashioned oatmeal, um, they're full of nutrients and will help with, with weight loss because it keeps you full for a long period of time because it's a soluble fiber. Soluble meaning that when we eat soluble fiber foods, uh, they retain water and expand. And so what that does is, again, keep you full for a longer period of time. So um, so when it, when it comes to, uh, you know, when I talk to people and patients um, that, uh, you know, are talking about different types of diets, um, I try to emphasize, you know, what's going to work from, for them, but also emphasize you know, what the science says, what the American Diabetes Association says, what the dietary guidelines for Americans say, um, because those are evidence-based. Um, and just, uh, I'll bring up one study uh, that uh, was, per, uh, was published in JAMA. And this was actually a 16-week uh, randomized control trial. Um, and it was uh, showing the effect of the, the, the purpose of the trial was to show the effect of a low-fat vegan diet on body weight, insulin sensitivity, and also on lipid levels inside the cells in overweight, overweight adults. Um, Dr. Neil Bernard from uh, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, he was one of the authors of this study. It was a 16-week study. Um, and some of the findings of this 16-week study 
um, is that, and this was 20, uh, 244 participants uh, participated in this study, um, the average weight loss for the people that followed the low-fat vegan diet on body weight, they uh, saw a weight loss on average of 5.9 kilograms, which is almost 13 pounds of body weight loss over that 16-week period of time. Um, also, they saw a uh, increase in insulin sensitivity, which means that uh, it was easy to easier for them to control their blood sugar levels. Um, and so uh, there were also reductions in their lipid levels in their cells and again, increased uh, insulin sensitivity. Um, so also in the study, they did note that um, there were some limitations and that the, uh, the participants, it was uh, reported uh, uh, food journals, um, but this, there are some limitations with any type of nutrition intervention. But so this study shows that a low fat vegan diet um, is proven to for weight loss to be successful and increasing insulin sensitivity. So, so there's a lot of science on uh, following more of a plant based diet because automatically when you incorporate more plants into your diet, you're reducing saturated fat, which the guidelines say to reduce to 10%, um, and you're increasing fiber in your diet, which fiber is a really big key with reducing or with controlling blood sugar levels in someone's diet. Right. So I'm Hopefully hearing that was helpful. Oh, very helpful. There were so many things that you talked about. One of the things that you discussed was about uh, fat in animal products. And some people don't even realize that cheese and milk are an animal product. But anyway, I remember when I was on the standard American diet and I would have meat and I would carve off the fat off the, around the edge of the meat, mm. thinking that I was taking out the fat. Right. right. And now I, I, I was, and I, that's what I thought, but that's not really, that's not really totally taking the fat out of the meat. Is that right? Because I'm the, sorry, and yeah, then that's, follow yeah. the last part of that question. Sure, I'm not sure. Maybe your your volume control and your earbud set might be lowered. Maybe you need to raise it up. That might help. But anyway, what I was saying is that just cutting the fat off of your meat doesn't take the oh, fat right. out of your meat. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I talked. To, yeah, exactly. I mean, so just as an example, you know, I looked at. Um, a cut of a ribeye steak um, has a lot more fat on it, that white marbling, than a sirloin. Um, so that's usually if someone does want to stick with animal sources of meat um, or protein, um, usually that's the first start is by, you know, choosing leaner cuts of meat. Um, and then the second option would be to reduce the portion size because most people um, I think it's very important when it comes to weight loss to meet your protein need, but not to really exceed it, so to speak. Um, so um, for many people, it could be by instead of, instead of eating an eight ounce piece of uh, ribeye to choose a four ounce uh, ribeye or I'm not four ounce sirloin, you're reducing your saturated fat drastically by reducing the size and by reducing the type of cut um, of uh, the, the meat that you're choosing. Right. 
And then, then you talked about uh, other things. I mean, let, let's talk about sugar because I think a lot of people think that sugar, as in fruits or maybe in processed foods, that that mm -hmm. is why people have diabetes is because they have to stay away from okay. all kinds of sugar. So can you talk about sugar? Yes. So, yeah, it's a great question, and I get that question often. So um, when it comes to diabetes, uh, maybe taking a little bit of a step back, there are two basic types of diabetes. Um, you have type 1 diabetes, which means that the person has to inject insulin. Um, and then you have type 2 diabetes, where the person may or may not have to use insulin. Their pancreas may secrete insulin. Uh, so it depends on the person and that should be individualized. Um, but um, there are many benefits to eating sugar. When, first of all, energy, or sugar and carbohydrates in general are our preferred energy source. Our body actually prefers that over protein and fat as a energy for, uh, source to begin with. Um, so, um, so, it's, so you can get things that um, have sugar in it in your diet because our body prefers it. That's the first thing. Um, but if you are someone that's on insulin, like a type one diabetic, you do want to have an idea of how much, uh, I think the two main things are to understand how much carbohydrates that you're eating per meal. And then second is the type of carbohydrates that you're eating, because whether they're, they're carbohydrates from fruit are from more processed like white rice or, or sugary things, um, they'll eventually be turned into glucose uh, and they'll want to enter, they need to enter the cell. Um, but what the main difference is, is that something that is more processed, um, that's more refined, will first of all lack fiber. Um, so um, fiber will make the, the sugar go into the bloodstream a lot faster and also will go through the body a lot faster, meaning that you probably will become hungrier faster and tend to overeat those two, those foods faster. Um, and so the more refined it is also typically it's also lacking nutrition. So there's really no uh, real benefit to eating more refined grains and things like sodas uh, and Gatorades. I have patients that eat, uh, drink, you know, Gatorade and they, they work a desk job. And so, um, so those really are going to, uh, but you still can have carbohydrates at a meal. So that's the first thing is the type. So if you're eating things like fruit, as an example, bananas, apples, um, those are loaded with nutrition that our body needs, like potassium and uh, bananas, um, the fiber, the vitamins, the minerals um, that really support healthy a healthy diet. Um, and then Fruit, whole fruit, if it's not juiced, it has fiber with it. Um, so um, when you're eating fiber with the fruit, it's going to slow down the release of that sugar into the bloodstream. Um, and typically, uh, depending on the patient, you know, they can have um, anywhere sometimes from 30 to 45 grams of, of carbohydrates at a meal. And again, it's preferable to have more whole foods um, that include the fiber and the nutrients. Uh, and I, a lot of times the analogy I like to use with patients, it's, you know, here in Fort Worth, we have express lanes that people can get on. You know, when you're, when you get on the express lane, you can go as fast as you want. Um, I like to use that analogy when you're eating more refined, processed, 
uh, type of carbohydrates. It goes into the system really fast. Uh, what you want in your diet is more of the whole foods, the fruits. That's like being in traffic. And that's what it's like going when those sugars go into the bloodstream. Also helps, uh, you know, keeping you full for a long period of time, which will aid with weight loss. Um, so and I think uh, if your audience doesn't know, Mastering Diabetes, I'm a big fan of theirs and the, read their book. And they're both type one diabetics that I think uh, I don't quote me, but I think on average they eat predominantly a high carbohydrate, high fruit diets that include mangoes and papayas. And I think from anywhere from, I think, 500 plus grams of carbohydrates a day. And they're able to control their blood sugars on a predominantly high carbohydrate diet with with using more whole foods with a packed with nutrition, which are going to help protect you from disease, um, but also um, high in fiber. Yeah, that's a big deal. So I hope that answered your question. Yes, I think it does. So so we're talking about being insulin resistant and we're talking about fats. So what what happens when how do how do we become insulin resistant? How does that happen? I think you're freezing up. Oh, we got you back. <laughs> you broke up there. I'm sorry. Yeah. Maybe the people in the, uh, are who are watching, are you hearing Amy okay and seeing me okay? Or is it John that maybe is freezing up for you? So if you can tell us in the comments, which, if any of us are freezing up so we can figure out which end needs to be uh, addressed. But in the meantime, so if somebody wants to uh, learn about the, well, let me just see. Okay. I thought we had a comment. We have, we have a question from somebody. Let's see. We have, okay, here it is. So Patty, Patty Shu wants to know, do I have to worry about too many oxalates switching to a plant-based diet? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, you know, that I think, uh, you know, specifically, I'm not sure. Um, I think oxalates, I'm not a, an expert on oxalates. Um, you know, I, it depends on your particular situation. Uh, if there's a reason why you would uh, avoid oxalates, um, you know, but uh, you know, I, I don't, uh, I, need, I would need to do probably a little bit more research on that specific question. I'm sorry. The, I think that as long as you're eating, and one thing that I, I'm really big fan of is, is following more of a plate method where you're diversifying uh, your, your different sources of, let's say, non-starchy vegetables, because I believe oxalates are more non-starchy vegetables. So as long as you're diversifying your, your vegetable sources, your non-starchy vegetable sources and not sticking to like the same things every day. Uh, because I think oxalates can potentially, as my understanding, could potentially reduce iron absorption is my understanding. So um, as long as you're, uh, uh, you know, diversifying uh, your your cruciferous vegetables and non-starchy vegetables, uh, I would think that you would be fine. Right. 
Because you can't answer medical questions about an individual having never met them. So that's, right. yes. And we, we understand right. that. But thank you for, for helping with that. Uh, Joe528 said, I have diabetes and my GP told me to avoid fruits, especially those with high glycemic index. We haven't talked too much about that. I really like fruit. What are mm. your thoughts? Good question. Uh, so um, there, so there's the glycemic index and there's the glycemic load. Um, and those have to do with uh, how, how certain foods like fruit will affect your blood sugar levels. Um, and, but I think that uh, the glycemic index uh, and the glycemic load, uh, they do take into account um, the amount of food that you're eating. Um, but what I think that may be more of a limiter on focusing too much on the glycemic index is that it probably doesn't take into account, from my understanding, uh, the other types of foods that you're eating with that meal. As in, in, and also the glycemic index is not a perfect index um, in that, as an example, watermelon is high on the glycemic index. Um, but also uh, carrots, as an example, is high in their glycemic index. So we know both are good for us uh, from, from an overall standpoint. Um, and if you include those with other things like beans and whole grains um, and a healthy fat, um, that should lower the overall glycemic load because you're incorporating other foods into that meal. So I would probably look at glycemic index more if you're eating those, as an example, watermelon just by itself and a whole watermelon, that's probably not the best idea. Um, but also um, last I would say on that is that also foods that are, that will affect your sugars um, from a diabetic standpoint have to do with your genetic makeup um, and your uh, GI. So I would say it's something to look at um, but again, going back to what I said earlier, um, by eating a diversified diet um, and fruit is a preferred energy source, as long as it's a whole fruit, um, there's so many types of benefits that probably would out. I think he froze up for a little bit, but we'll hopefully we'll get him back. I don't know if he's freezing up for you guys. But and then, oh, there he goes. Go ahead. So and then. And then also, I think of everything when it comes to foods on a spectrum. So as an example, I'd rather you, hot, you know, eat potentially something that's higher in the glycemic index like watermelon and carrots versus a candy bar that also has. Right, exactly. People are, are, are steering away from fruit, but yet they're incorporating these candies and, and that's not good either. So that's very important to know. I think a lot of people, and, and it's, it's unfortunate because a lot of the physicians go through so much training, grueling hours and, and years of their lives that they train. But yet in medical school, they hardly get any training in, back. in nutrition. I was just, hi, I was just talk, telling our, our green warriors about nutrition training and, and doctors and medical school and how they, they, they're well-meaning when they give out the advice, but they don't really get very much nutrition 
classes. So that's why they may not always give out the latest oh, right. uh, and greatest advice met, uh, that, that's based on science and the latest science and so forth. But that's, mm. that's very good. I, I think that that was and going a, back to, to Jude's. Going back to Joe's question, also one thing there's what's great about technology um, is if uh, he's checking his uh, glucose, he could also check his blood sugars after having something that's considered high glycemic index with either a glucometer, um, but with technology, a continuous glucose monitor, monitor like a Freestyle Libre um, or a Dexcom can really give you that sort of that real time feedback on how that specific meal whether it's had fruit in it or combine it with other things like avocado, which again is high in fiber um, or whole grains. So combining, let's say something that's a higher glycemic index with other things, you can then test it yourself um, real time with let's say a continuous glucose monitor to see how it affects you personally. Yeah, that's a wonderful advance in science that continuous glucose monitor that you don't have to keep clicking your finger and you can see how the different food is, is affecting you. And would you say that it's different for different people, that, that there could be a hundred people and they could, some of them could eat certain fruits and, and maybe not get affected as much with their glucose and others? What would you say? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's, I would say it's individualized. I mean, because um, other things that can affect uh, blood sugar levels are your sleep, um, your stress levels, um, how active you are. Um, and so there's many factors that go into um, how your body re responds to a load of sugar. Um, and so I think that, again, it could be, you know, I could have a banana and someone else could have a banana and we could have a totally different response to that. Um, or watermelon, which again is high on the glycemic index and have totally two different, different responses. Um, something that would be more longer term to look at would be, um, you know, what are your goals? Are you losing weight? You feel good. You feel energized. Those are subjective things that I talk about with patients that we can't put a number on. Um, and then second, long term things are, you know, are, is your A1C number getting better? Or if you are using a continuous glucose monitor, um, there's what's called time and range. So are you staying within a certain range um, and how what your percentage of your time and range is? Um, and then secondly is, you know, how is your overall cardiovascular health? Um, because I think we can sometimes get focused on if you're if you have diabetes or prediabetes on weight loss. Um, and on uh, improving that, but on the back end, from a cardiovascular standpoint, um, are you getting better from a cholesterol level in a in a, um, a LDL uh, low density lipoprotein? Are those levels also reducing? So I think when you incorporate a diversified diet that's more plant based, and you keep your levels of saturated fat below uh, that ten percent mark for total calories um, and you reduce, um, one of the guidelines is to reduce added sugars to no more than 10% of your, your total calories. If you're falling in those ranges and eating the diversified, more plant-based and plant-centric diet, the chances are is that you're eating a less calorie dense diet 
which will help affect all of your your biomarkers. Yeah, that's what I love about this lifestyle with the lifestyle that you can eat as much as you want of this food till you're comfortably full. And and for people who have diabetes, I think that a lot of them have struggle to think about changing their diet because perhaps they would get hungry and shaky between meals and they and they may may be worried about that. But with this, there's not you're not going to be hungry if you adopt this lifestyle because it's designed. It's a special protocol for diabetes, probably to incorporate the things that are more long lasting, like you said, the beans and the legumes that you you wouldn't have to just count out how many beans you're eating. You you could eat as many as you'd like until you're full, and then they're going to carry you through in between the, the meals that you're having. Exactly right. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think some of the things to focus on uh, that can help with the satiety is first focus on, you know, and a lot of t- times I, when I work with patients is more of a plate method. So having at least a quarter of your plate, like a regular size plate that is, um, have that be some type of protein source uh, that could be beans, uh, lentils, uh, soy products are, are, are complete protein, meaning it has all the nine essential amino acids. Yeah, I think you might have frozen up a little bit there for me anyway. Acids, some type acids. of whole grain or starchy vegetable. Um, that's really going to, when you, especially when incorporating whole grains, things like brown rice, quinoa, uh, oatmeal, um, that's going to provide fiber, which will help with, you know, keeping you full for a long period of time. And then the second half of the plate that can be more flexible, uh, especially non-starchy vegetables, starch, you know, meaning non-starchy, meaning that there's really not much sugar in them, uh, will help with increasing bulk of the meal. Um, and then maybe just a little bit of fruit, uh, depending on your specific uh, situation. Uh, that's a very diversified, but also what you're going to be eating is really a lot of food. Um, and so you're really going to be filling up the stomach uh, with uh, a lot of whole foods, which will keep you full for a long period of time. And one of the things that hopefully it will help you do is help uh, with satiety and avoid the um, the snacking in between meals, which tends to be sort of that trap for people when it comes to weight loss. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Now, one of our viewers is talking about, uh, so let's see, Skylove said, we don't eat fruit hardly at all, but we eat berries in moderation. No processed foods either. John's blood sugar is normal now, and he lost about 25 pounds in the last three to four months. It's been amazing. So I'm not sure if this is a plant-based diet, because I think if it was, probably there wouldn't be much limitation on the fruit. Yeah, that's great. Congratulations. Um, You know, so that's awesome. Um, uh, So uh, it sounds like a success story to me. So that's the one thing is that there's no one size fits all. So it ends up being what, um, and I think the, a big key there was eating berries in moderation. Uh, and then really, I think with reducing 
uh, or eliminating processed foods um, is really a big key because processed foods uh, really tend to, you know, cause us to overeat, uh, which causes the weight gain. Uh, so, you know, congratulations. That's that's amazing. Right. Now, if I'm not sure what what diet this is, it could very well be a keto. I don't know, because a plant based diet probably wouldn't limit the fruits. So if somebody did adopt a keto diet, they probably would see success in the beginning, right? Because they're eliminating their processed foods, which is one of the reasons why the keto diet works. Is there something, is there a caveat if somebody did do a keto diet for long term? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so going back to not just focusing on just one, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of things to look at there. Uh, but one thing would be um, subjectively, how do they feel? Do they feel like they have good energy? Um, so there's a lot of things we can't put a number on. So um, if they feel like they're moving in the direct, right direction, that could be one thing. But um, looking underneath the hood, just like a car, you know, don't always ch uh, judge a book by its cover. So looking underneath the hood, uh, I would be looking at things like, number one, um, are their cholesterol levels rising? Um, so if you're increasing saturated fat, so if you're reducing fruit and increasing fat, and especially saturated fat, that potentially can be causing things underneath the hood to happen that you're not seeing. So I would be really watching your cholesterol levels. Um, if the total cholesterol exceeds 200, we know that's a risk factor for potential um, heart disease and strokes. Um, also, uh, if their LDL, low density lipoprotein number exceeds 100, that also that can be a risk factor. Um, other things uh, that can be happening, you know, is their blood pressure rising? Um, are they having any kidney issues, especially um, if their their kidney biomarkers are they, you know, starting to increase? Um, so I would be working closely with a healthcare professional um, if you're taking on that type of diet and not just focusing on how your blood sugars are, because you know uh, one thing that you're not really doing is you're not necessarily challenging your body with carbohydrates when you're on more of a keto diet. But once you start to incorporate, you know, if you go out and you go to a ballpark and you have that hot dog with the bun, uh, now you're challenging your body with some carbohydrates that it's not used to. Um, and so, you know, that can be, you know, that can be an issue. So um, again, there is no one size fits all, um, but I would be looking at many different things when it comes to the keto diet, not just how my blood sugars are doing, and also if I'm getting some immediate weight loss, the long-term effects of, uh, from a cardiovascular standpoint, a kidney standpoint, uh, potential kidney stones by increasing your, your protein intake. Uh, so there's a lot of downstream things that can happen when you're increasing saturated fat uh, and also uh, more of protein, maybe going too high of protein in the diet. Um, and so I would, uh, I would proceed with caution and also work closely with my uh, physician, uh, to, uh, watch those biomarkers and make sure what's going, uh, what's underneath the hood, you know, the things that we're, you're not necessarily seeing that may not rear its head, uh, more, you know, could 
rear its head late, let's say later down on the road, let's say six months, a year, two years down the road. Right. And that, I think that that, and, and like everybody's different. So we, we can't say what's good for one person and, and what isn't, especially if we, you haven't met them and, and know all their numbers and their lab results and things like that. But I think it is for any time you make a lifestyle change, I think it's important to monitor all those things that you were talking about. Even if somebody adopted a plant-based diet, you know, it's important to monitor things. And, and sometimes when we first adopt a lifestyle, we see great results, but like you said, down the road, there may be some things that come up. So it's, I think it's good advice for everybody, no matter which lifestyle you adopt, to keep working with your healthcare professional and monitor all these things to make sure that you're still on track, even though you may have lost weight or may have more energy in the very beginning. So I think that's great advice. Exactly. Okay. So let's see exactly. if we have, yeah, another, oh, <laughs> Angie B, starches and potatoes, white potatoes. I'm confused. I have diabetes. Can I eat potatoes? Is it okay if they're white? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so again, this, uh, so um, not really necessarily giving medical advice. Uh, I would go back to what I talked about earlier is that our body's preferred fuel source for energy is carbohydrates. So um, I would focus on two things um, is uh, number one is the amount that you're eating per meal for males. Typically one serving is 15 grams of carbohydrates. So for most females, you want to stick to your main meals anywhere between two to three servings of carbohydrates. Um, so if it's a small potato versus a, a large potato, um, and so I would uh, try and figure out how many grams of, uh, of carbohydrates that would fit into. An example, a large uh, potato would probably be closer to 45 grams. So if you're a female, that would probably take up all of your, your grams for that meal from a starch, from a carbohydrate standpoint. Um, and then second is... Uh, quality over, let's say, I would prefer you to have a white potato um, or anything that's a whole food because potatoes are packed with nutrients, um, whether they're russet potatoes, red potatoes, sweet potatoes, they all are packed with nutrition um, and also the packed with fiber. So if that's, uh, uh, you know, not spike, if that's, if your blood sugar levels are not, uh, and it's okay for your blood sugar, blood sugar levels to go up, they should go up after a meal. But what is the key? They do need to go down eventually a couple hours after the meal. Um, but I think you can have potatoes, uh, but you want to make sure that you're staying within limits depending on your situation. Uh, and I'd rather you have that than, let's say, something that's more refined, like white rice or uh, chips, like a potato. If you fry it and put it in oil and make it into potato chips, now you've increased the calorie density. So as an example, a large potato probably is only 200 calories. Um, and that's not very calorie dense when you look at the calorie dense scale. So white potatoes, sweet potatoes, as long as you keep them within limits uh, and you don't stack on the butter and the plant-based butter and the oils and the cheese and things like that, then that's a, a healthy plant-based option even for diabetics. Yeah, that sounds great. And and that's what I 
after adopting, well, I adopted this back in 2012. So my taste buds have changed and they've become more, more sensitive to flavors. So I don't need to add on these things. And so now I can eat a potato. I can just eat it for a snack sometimes Mm -hmm. and eat it. You know, sometimes I'll eat a cold baked potato or sweet potato and I can taste all the the different flavors in there that I never could before. I would have to put salt and butter and all kinds of things on it to, to make it enjoyable. And now it's very enjoyable. So it's, it's really great thing. And I'm glad that you talked about that because it can be confusing. You want to, you talked about the rice too, because I think people, people think that you go to a rice patty and you get white rice and then you go to a different rice patty and, and you get um, brown rice. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. So, it's not two different kinds, two different rices that we we uh, grow, right? Right. I mean, there's many different. I'm, I'm not a rice expert, but going back to the potatoes, another thing is an air fryer. I mean, I pretty much the air fryer has been a godsend to me because I'm not. I don't like to spend a lot of time in the kitchen, so you can get that fried taste by, let's say, taking a sweet potato, russet potato. Uh, chopping it up into, you know, make your own potato fries, throw it in an air fryer. That way you're not having to use oil. Um, but again, it's a it's a carbohydrate source that our body um, is when we eat things that are more natural, less refined, our body recognizes how to um, how to distribute that into where it's it's more efficient at burning that as a source of fuel. And second, Uh, Going to the rice, um, there are white rices that can be enriched. So that can be not necessarily all white rices um, are refined. So um, I do not a rice expert, but my understanding is the darker the rice, the darker the color of rice, because I'm I'm more of a brown rice because of the nutrition. But even black rice, wild rice, usually the darker the rice, usually the more nutrition has in the rice. Um, so I think that as long as you're eating at least half of your grains, whole grains, um, you know, it's okay. I would say it's okay to, to have, uh, you know, more of the white rice. If that's helping you with your weight loss and getting to your goals. Um, but it is better to opt for more whole grains. Uh, but you know, it's better than going to, let's say to a, to a fast food place, you know, so everything's on a spectrum. So white rice, if that helps you, like as an example, usually when I have sushi, it's got white rice. So um, so it's all usually on a spectrum. And as long as you're staying usually within those carbohydrate limits, uh, you know, usually you should be OK. All right. And here's a question. This is a medical question. So if okay. you don't feel comfortable Uh-oh. answering it, okay. I understand. Avery G said, can peripheral neuropathy be cured? I'm, mm. I'm assuming mm. talking about peripheral neuropathy that is caused by having diabetes. Cause I guess there's right. other, there are other ways to get yeah. the neuropathy. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know the spe- specific answer to that question, but what I would say is that um, when I think of peripheral or things that are like, uh, let's say our feet or any type of um, thing that has to do with our body. And if one of the first things I think about is you know, oxygen rich blood and how fast we can get that oxygen rich blood to those places in the body. Um, And so what that typically means is uh, things that have more nitric oxide 
will help with um, with vasodilation because nitric oxide is found mostly in your cruciferous, cruciferous vegetables, things like green leafy vegetables, beetroots. Um, so as you adopt or incorporate more plant-based foods uh, that have more nitric oxide, that's going to help with increasing nitric oxide, which will increase with getting that oxygen-rich blood to every part of the body, even our feet. Um, and then a second way that you can increase nitric oxide naturally is through exercise. So exercise is a natural nitric oxide elixir. So um, by adopting a more of a plant-based diet, rich in uh, green leafy vegetables, cruciferous vegetables, will help get that uh, oxygen-rich blood to those different areas of the body, which will hopefully reduce peripheral neuropathy. Okay, here's an, another question from Sky Love. I have a strange question. I don't think any questions are strange, so I'm glad you're all asking. Are potatoes and grains considered plants? Uh, yeah, as far as I know, I mean, I don't know technically. I know uh, potatoes would be considered more of what it's um, a root vegetable, um, and grains, um, grains are, you know, come from grain fields. So as far as I know that they're, they're considered plants, uh, you know, so I don't know the technical, um, you know, I'd have to Google, but, <laughs> yeah. but I, as far as I know, I believe that they're plants. Yeah. And I've grown potatoes, which yeah, are I mean, so. wonderful. And you can even eat the greens because the potatoes are the roots and they grow underground, but they have greens on top and you can eat the greens too. Exactly. So, so in my mind, that's a, that's a plant, right? Exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's see. Oh, I've got, so, a, I'm, got, got to wrap up here. Yes, I've got a couple I have minutes to wrap here. it up. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm, I want to thank everybody for, for all the questions that uh, you provided for us today. And I also wanted to give um, John a chance to talk about what, what do you do and how can people get in touch with you? Yeah. So I'm a, I've been a registered diet. This is a second career for me, uh, by the way. So I've been a registered dietitian uh, almost four years now. My first career was in financial services. Um, uh, so I work full time as a diabetes educator um, in Fort Worth, Texas for Baylor Scott and White. Um, I'm, I'm an outpatient dietitian, but I also see patients in, a, as in my private practice. Um, you can uh, see more information about me um, on Instagram at John Massingale Nutrition. Uh, and then second, uh, I have a website, John Massingale Nutrition. So if you're interested in uh, adopting a more plant-based diet. You don't have to be vegan. Um, you want to work with a registered dietitian uh, that provides evidence-based solutions, uh, and you want something that's individualized, uh, please contact me, send me a message on through Instagram is probably the best way, um, and uh, be more than happy to answer questions. Uh, again, I work with clients one-on-one. -on -one, uh, so, um, but I'm passionate about, I've been personally uh, plant-based, for going on, I don't know, around 10 or 11 years now. Um, and I'm an endurance athlete. I've completed an Ironman in 2014. Um, and I've done the Leadville 100 mountain bike race, uh, which is a 100 mile mountain bike race in Co uh, Leadville, Colorado. Um, this last weekend, um, I did a 100 mile, uh, it was my first gravel endurance race. It was in 
Trinidad, Colorado. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a great experience. It took, it took me seven hours, um, but I believe in the power of a plant-based diet uh, to uh, manage diabetes and potentially reverse it, uh, bring it into remission. Uh, but the power of plants is is amazing. I feel I felt it in my own life. I'm in my early 50s, and I uh, I, I'm, uh, I feel like I'm as strong as ever. Uh, I perform, uh, and I, I rarely get injured or rarely get sick. Uh, so I truly believe in the power of a plant-based diet, and the science backs it up. Uh, it's recommended uh, by the American Diabetes Association, um, and so. Uh, yeah. So if you want to contact me, um, I'd love to, to work with anyone in your audience. Oh, that's great. It's nice to have a registered dietitian that knows the science and can help. So I want to thank you again for being on the show. And Green Warriors, tell us what you're going to remember. What was your takeaway for, from this presentation? And please stay tuned for a special announcement. I wanted to thank Just Tass Voice for doing the countdown and the promos and and all the different things that she does. And just test boys, tell us who's coming up next. Achieve optimal health at 80 years young. Author of The Thriving Vegan, Michael Dorfman will discuss how to thrive on a plant-based diet on Wednesday, October 19th, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Be Green with Amy Live. I just wanted Angela said, he said, uh, we need many more plant-based registered dietitians like John Massingale. So I wanted to All tell right. you that you can read the rest of the comments. Yeah. And if you guys want to uh, help me end the broadcast with John, because he's going to help me with my tagline, which is the be strong, be well. And then he's going to say, be green. And you guys can type that in the comments. Are you ready, John? I'm ready. All right. Well, until I see all of you again, please remember to stay healthy and safe and be strong, be well, and be, be green. green. Yeah. <laughs> Thank All you right. so much, John. Thanks, All Green Warriors. Right. Bye-bye, everyone. Three. We got it. Now you can listen to Be Green with Amy expert interviews wherever you go. Listen while walking, meal prepping, or traveling. Find Be Green with Amy on Apple, Google, Alexa, Amazon, or virtually anywhere you find podcasts. Be strong, be well, and be